Colossians chapter 3 verses 11 to 17 says this, in Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is, this is what I want us to hear, Christ is all and in all. Okay, let me say that one more time. Christ is all and in all. Hold on to that. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. How many of you think that is a recipe for an amazing world? (laughs) Above all, though, it says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's the, there's the, the, the invitation to worship and doing it together. That's why we do what we do around here. And then verse 17, this is what I really want us to focus on and, and, uh, and this is gonna really help set up the series for us. It says this, that whatever you do, every shout whatever, whatever you do, whatever you do. This is my daughter's word. She's like, whatever. (laughs) Whatever, dad. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Today, as we begin our series, Blend, I want to speak to you from the subject, life out of balance. As we look at leaving a life of balance for a life of integration, blendedness, by seeing life as a recipe. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active. God, that it applies to every facet of who we are. And God, as you transform us from the inside out, I pray that it takes root in not just who we are personally, but it, it impacts our families, it impacts our workplaces, it impacts our church, it impacts our schools. It impacts every area that we find ourselves in. So we love you. We worship you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name, come on. And everybody shouted, amen. Amen. Can I see all the bakers in the room? If you love to bake, come on, put your hand up. If you love to bake. There's like 10 of us. You, not me. Let's just be very clear about that. How many of you would say that you loathe baking? Don't like baking? How many of you feel about baking the way I feel about the Cowboys? Let's just do it that way. Okay. How many of you love to cook? Cook. We're all, okay, there's more of us. See, baking and cooking, there's two separate realities there. Um, how many of you would agree with me on, on that? Baking and cooking. My wife, she loves to bake. She just recently got the, the Magnolia, the Joe and Chip Gaines book, and uh, I've single-handedly gained poundage because of that. And uh, it's an amazing book. Amazing recipes are coming out of it. She has these biscuits that, like, wow, Biscuits. Who would have thought they could change your life? And her biscuits have changed my life. And, um, and <laughs> I'm talking, bread. Bread, guys, bread. Bread. So, so these biscuits. We're not going to recover from anything moving forward, are we? 
So she's in the kitchen and she, she's doing these amazing recipes and, uh, and uh, she's, she said to me before, hey, can you, can you like bake something? I'm like, no, I'm not going to bake anything. And there's a reason that I don't do baking. One, because it's mathematical and that waved bye-bye to me a long time ago. But uh, I just don't like the, the precision of baking because I want it to be, if I'm honest, I want baking to be simply this, two cups of sugar, two cups of flour, two cups of this, two cups of that. I want baking to be balanced because that's easy because it's nice and it's clean and it, and it makes it, it, makes it apply, like I can apply that to my life. You said I need you to bake some bread and it calls for equal measures of everything, then I would be good with that. But how many of you know that baking bread or baking in general, it's not equal measures of anything? It can't be equal measures of anything. There is no balance in baking. And what I've come to discover is that there's no balance in life as well. Balance is a fallacy. Balance is this mystical unicorn that we look for but does not exist. And if you believe in unicorns, I'm sorry. Welcome to church. <laughs> but we, we, we look for it. And many of us want life to be balanced as, as well. But I've come to discover that as I've done life for a little while now and I've sought after balance and I've looked after and I've tried to achieve balance and I've tried to find balance. How many of you would agree with me? Balance simply does not exist. Why? Because balance requires something very intricate. And that is equal parts, equal measurements. And at first glance, balance is not only attractive, but it seems noble. And so I understand why it would be something that we not only strive for, but do everything in our power to achieve. But the problem is that balance does not exist. It's a fallacy. So why do we continue to look or search for balance? The reason that we strive for balance is because we see it as a cure to our ultimate problem, idolatry. Idolatry is simply this, because a lot of us in here right now would be like, I, 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 don't, have, I don't have an idolatry issue. Like, I don't have some little foreign god set up in my living room. So how can, how, can I be, how can I be a person that has idolatry going on in my life? Listen, idolatry is simply the extremes of our devotion for things and towards things that tend to control our disciplines, our desires, our attention, and our affections. Now am I talking to anybody? <laughs> These things can be from the simplistic and noble to the destructive and sinful. And no matter where the line falls, the elusive unicorn of balance will never be found and will never fix the problem. As my uh, writer Mark Ballinger put it, he said, being balanced is not the way to solve the heart of humanity's issues. Notice that God himself doesn't even institute balance as he calls for a day of rest, the Sabbath. Think about that. Six days, rest the seventh. Like, if God was a God of balance, you'd think he would do the thing that we all hope he would do and be like, guys, six days of rest, six days off. And everybody said amen. <laughs> but he instituted the Sabbath, this one day that we, that we rest. There is, however, another way, a way that we can live the full life that God has designed for us, a life of fulfillment, enjoyment, meaning, and progress. How many of you think that sounds like a good life? I want that type of life. We have to find a better way, and the way is a recipe. A recipe. Yes, if I could be cheesy and corny for just a moment, life is like a recipe. All right? 
Recipe calls for different measures of different ingredients. And if measured appropriately, it brings to fruition a creation like no other. One that we and others enjoy. And I believe with all my heart that life is such a recipe as well. No matter your position in life, your situation in life, it is a recipe and done with care, we can experience something both savory and sweet that brings meaning to the days, months, and years that our lives occupy life as a recipe. And if we start to look at life as a recipe, if we stop striving for balance, how many of you have ever uh, gone after balance before and in searching for balance, you're more frustrated, you're more stressed, you're more irritated, and, and, and you're more spent than you've ever been before. Why? Because you cannot, you will not achieve balance. Mathematically, it doesn't work. Most of us work eight, the average American will work eight to 10 hours a day. How many of you know that after that workload, if we were seeking balance, that means I need eight to 10 hours with my wife, eight to 10 hours with my children, eight to 10 hours with God, eight to 10 hours on myself. How many of you know, we just don't have that time. So I can't balance things out. It, it, it doesn't work. It will never work. Life is a recipe. Have I convinced you yet? <laughs> And so today what I want to do is I want to look at three truths that we need to understand about our lives if we're going to live them out of balance. So here's my goal today and over the next few weeks of this series is to get us to a place that we're living out of balance. Can we do that? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, get ready to be out of balance. Turn to your other neighbor and say, we're talking about vertigo. Yeah. So three truths. All right, three truths we need to understand about our lives if we're going to live them out of balance. I need your help. Every shot, number one. First one is this, is that life's not about equal measure, but about precision and sacredness. Life is not about equal measure, but about precision and sacredness. Go back to Colossians 3.17. Paul the Apostle sets this up for us. This is the theological basis for the recipe of life. And whatever you do, every shot, whatever. Come on, every shot, Whatever. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything. Everything means everything. Do everything. Everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is writing with the implicit desire to reframe the way that we think about life and how we do the life that we've been given to live. And so often our daily lives are simply the sum total of progressively connected time slots that we are dissatisfied with and intrinsically bored by. So what do we do? We grit and bear down thinking and dreaming about the end of the day so that we can get to what matters most or what we think matters most in our lives. The problem with this type of living is that it reinforces the very problem that we face with balance and causes us to actually live in extremes. Most people that I've found, myself included, who try and strive after balance end up living in extremes. That's the only way possible. Because remember, we're talking about equal measure. But if we're going to understand life as a recipe, life's not about equal measure, but about precision and sacredness. This happens as we try to balance time spent on things that are undesirable with things that we deem as desirable or beneficial, noble, or responsible. The antidote, Paul would write, is about understanding that every moment that we have as a gift from God, hear that, every moment that we have, every second that we have is a gift from God. 
and therefore should be lived with precision, intention, depth, therefore bringing glory, honor, and worship to God. Could you imagine if we could live with intention as we're standing in the line at Walmart? Seth knows exactly what I'm talking about. Seth loves Walmart. (laughs) How many of you have stood in line at a shopping place and thought to yourself, I'm wasting my life away? And so what do we do? We pull out our phones. Have you been in a public sector recently? There's not a person with their head up. And I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not speaking from a pulpit of perfection. I'm talking about the things that I do too because I get fidgety. If I'm standing in line too long, what do I do? Whoa! And the light comes on. And my life is now meaningful because I'm not standing in a line looking at nothing. I mean, what I'm talking about. But what if we changed the game? What if we saw every moment as important? What if we realized that every moment was important and that I could bring glory and honor and worship to God? Now, I'm not submitting to you today that you have a worship service as you're standing in line at Walmart. That could get weird fast. <laughs> Although cool. <laughs> Wake within me. Like, we could get down. It would be fun. But what if life in that moment, what if you, just this is a crazy thought, What if you struck up a conversation with another real-life human being? What if, instead of being frustrated that the line has been caused by the teller that's going a little bit too slow for my liking, what if I waited to get to the point where I'm now engaged with her and I have a conversation with her instead of being frustrated because I'm trying to go fast and balance everything out and said, how are you doing today? And I realized that the reason that she's going slow is because she didn't get sleep the night before because she is the only mother or only parent in her house and she's caring for three kids and maybe just maybe I now have the opportunity to lighten the load with gestures of a smile and hope and say how can I help you instead of how you can help me that was, that was all right clap we're gonna get there we're gonna get there today instead I stop I keep my head down with everybody else to see what's on twitter or the news channel or facebook or whatever it may be to live this type of life and faith we must learn to identify that which is meaningful and sacred hear me meaningful and sacred in the everyday moments of life no matter the details or constraints of those moments writer and author Trish Harrison would define these moments in her book entitled Liturgy of the Ordinary she would rightly and profoundly write concerning this issue watch this this is This blew me away when I read it. Small bits of our day are profoundly meaningful because they are the site of our worship. The crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines. 
See, when life is blended, we start to recognize that there is great sacredness in the profoundly mundane. And it's our ability to recognize this that allows us to experience the greatest depth of fulfillment and enjoyment in life that we will ever experience. It's the practice of identifying the sacred in all things that helps us live the life of precision that we're called to. So your Walmart line is sacred. Your cubicle is sacred. The drive to work is sacred. Every moment that you find yourself is sacred. When you're having a conversation with your one and a half year old that is not in English, it's sacred. It's sacred. What have we done? We've divided it, haven't we? We created terminology like secular and sacred. We've divided God. We said that God only exists in the sacred bits. Church services and at dinner with my family and so on and so forth. And then everywhere else, I have no purpose, I have no reason. That's my secular life. Stop it. That doesn't even exist. Paul said, in all, every shall all, in everything, whatever you do, there is no dividing line. All of our lives are sacred in every bit. When I'm driving through the car wash with my kids, it's sacred. When I'm staring off into la-la land, sitting next to my wife, it's sacred. When I'm doing the things that are seemingly mundane and boring and have no point, it could be the crucible of my worship. It can be the place where God is lifted high the most in my life. You know what's amazing is that we could come into this place on a Sunday morning ready to worship because we've already spent six days worshiping. How fired up is that worship? Could you imagine if we came in here already worshiped up? You know what I'm talking about? Like three quarters in? This is just a celebration service. But for so many of us, we come in here and we're lagging from the week and we need the first two songs to just get geared up. Just to adjust. Like, okay, here we go again. All right, they're going to do fast song, fast song, slow song, slow song. <laughs> Except that one weekend where they go fast song, slow song, and you're tripped out. What are they doing three slow songs for? <laughs> Pastor Justin's messing with my head. <laughs> See, if we can learn how to identify things as, as precise, when we realize that it's not equal measure, but it's about precision and sacredness, no longer are we people addicted to the rush of the spectacular or the allure of the mysterious, but rather we are content with the sacredness of the ordinary. Check this out. As it becomes the place of the greatest mystery and most spectacular of experiences, the grace and presence of God. I'm telling you what, I've sat in my living room, just Eric and I, not even talking, reading, chilling out, staring off into la-la land sometimes. And how many of you know there's like that, I want to reach for my phone? You're like, <laughs> there's been moments where we've ignored it, and we've had some of the most depth and profound moments in our relationship and in our relationship. Can the ordinary be sacred? And if we're going to see life as a recipe, we've got to understand it's not an equal measure, but it's about precision and sacredness. Every great recipe, good cake, you don't have two cups of flour, two cups of salt, and two cups of sugar. 
That's gross. <laughs> Nobody wants that cake. Right? You have the flour, you have the sugar, and what? A teaspoon of salt. Different ingredients to make the recipe what it is. And all of them come together and they build and create this beautiful, beautiful cake. Number two, ever shot number two? Second thing we got to realize, the second truth to this is that in life, all things have weight, but not all things weigh the same. All things have weight, but not all things weigh the same. Proverbs 11.1 1 says this, Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is delight. I love that. Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. See, many of us seek balance because we're trying to give the same value to everything. And the truth is, however, that not all things weigh the same. Assessing proper weight values enables us to define appropriate priorities as we engage in living a life of precision. We'll talk about priorities in this, in this series because the Bible actually talks, the Bible actually lays out a theological premise for priorities. It's not just some self-help thing, all right? But somewhere along the way, come on, if you, if you agree with me, as humanity, we came to the conclusion that all things weigh the same. Priorities became subjective suggestions, obtrusive and obstructive confines of a life given to futility and monotony. And the truth is, is that we live according to an upside down kingdom, a kingdom that says he who desires to find his life must lose his life. So the Bible's communicating to us that not, not everything weighs the same. And this is a stretch for so many of us because we're pretty dogmatic when it comes to finding what we define as quality of life, don't we? Can we, can we be honest at the beginning of the year? A lot of us ha have already figured out or been trying to figure out how we have the best quality of life in 2019. The problem is that in our vast search for quality, we've found more stress, more strife, greater confusion than we've ever had before. We're more stressed out than ever before as we jump from one job looking for the right fit. That's just, that doesn't fit me. One relationship to another searching for a feeling that is the product of movie lights and hit soundtracks. I've spent the last two weeks as we've been at home with kids and the Christmas season inundated, indoctrinated by Hallmark movies. I know. And every single time she turns them on, I'm waiting. I'm like, where's the truck that comes through my living room just to hit me right now? <laughs> but every time I watch these movies, even from a glance, she's like, you want to watch this with me? I'm like, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Every time I watch the horror movie, there's all this, feel, like, all this stuff, and it all works out in the end. And everybody's like, ah, they're crying, and they're happy. And I'm like, it doesn't look like that. But don't we jump from relationship to, come on singles, looking for this feeling and we're rendered motionless by the weight of guilt and shame that has been produced by missing real moments of life so that we can document them for everyone else. The truth is not everything weighs the same. And that's what the writer of Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 24, 1 through 7 says this, Don't envy the evil or desire to be with them, for their hearts plan violence, and their words stir up 
trouble. In other words, the writer is saying, listen, you're always going to look at things and you're going to see the way that the world is doing things and it looks nice and it looks attractive and everything like that. But you've got to realize that not everything weighs the same. And then he goes on to say, this is what life looks like. A house is built by wisdom and it's established by understanding, by knowledge. The rooms are filled. Check it out. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful Treasure, not everything weighs the same, and a blended life is one that has been established by this truth. A truth that in turn supplies us with the necessary strength to live this life out in practical measures. About a year and a half ago, I had a conversation with my father-in-law. Nah, maybe, maybe two years ago, somewhere in there. And we were talking because life was running, and when you're three, three or so years into a church plant, you're running a gun and you're doing everything that you possibly can. And I was in meetings all the time, day and night, day and night. And I'm striving after something. If I'm honest, there's the, there's the man in me, right? There's the human in me that wants to achieve and wants to drive. And, and then the question we have to ask ourselves, is, at what cost though? At what cost? So we sat down one night and we were talking and, and, and just hanging out. And he wasn't scolding me by any way, but, he's, but he gently kind of, gently suggested to me that maybe all the things that I was doing at night wasn't producing what I needed to in my family. And I had to realize something. Check it out. This church does not carry the same weight as my family. The meetings that I was having does not carry, this place the well at the end of the day, does not carry the same weight as my wife and as my kids because there are two things in this world that no one else in this room can do or can't do that I can do. There's two things that only I can do in this world that no one else can do. I'm that special. I am that awesome. <laughs> I am that unique. There are two things that none of you in this room can do, and that is be the husband to my wife and the father to my children. And so I had to step back for a minute and realize I have to reassess some things here. I gotta, I gotta weigh some things. I can't have improper scales. Not everything weighs the same. And in a blended life, one has to understand that it has to be established by this truth. My son weighs more than Joe. And the hour and a half that I spend with him in a coffee shop is nowhere near as important, sorry, as the hour and a half that I spend with my son. Amen. Do I do it in balance? No, because balance is a fallacy. It doesn't work. I'm precise about it. I work hard to do it. I have people in my life that now help me, question me, put guardrails up so that I can live a more precise life. Why? Because life's a recipe. And at the end of my life, I want my gravestone to say his cake was awesome. <laughs> you get that, babe? <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> when we don't understand this truth and we give into a system of life that we've all engaged in, multitasking. Come on, show of hands. How many have multitasked before? We've all done it. The rest of you are liars, okay? <laughs> Clifford Nass, a Stanford communications professor who gave much of his time to the study of behavior in relationship to the digital age, 
summarized his findings through his research in a 2010 NPR interview with Ira Flatow, and he would say this. So we have scales that allow us to divide up people into people who multitask all the time and people who rarely do. And the differences are remarkable. People who multitask, this is what he says, not me, just putting it out there, okay? Just clarifying, I love you all. People who multitask all the time can't filter out irrelevancy. They can't manage a working memory. They're chronically distracted. They initiate much larger parts of their brain that irrelevant to the task at hand. And then this is what he says, they're pretty much mental wrecks. He would go on to say something that while seemingly offensive, I believe is necessary for consideration. He would say that because of multitasking, we have become suckers for irrelevancy. Think about that. That's insane. And we pride ourselves on multitasking. We pride ourselves on all these different things doing all these different things until your eight-year-old son who's sitting next to you the other night in your living room says, Dad, it's been so awesome that you guys haven't had your phone with you. And we do it in the name of multitask. I will throw myself under the bus to prove a point. Because I want us to get this, church. I'm not saying this as a scolding. I'm trying to improve the quality of life that God has given us. We have 70, 80, 90, and if some of you are awesome 100 years at best, what if we lived it differently starting today? What if we lived a life where we weren't distracted by irrelevant things, but it was said about us that we cared about the most precise things in life? It was no longer irrelevance. It was purpose. And one of the greatest things that is facing our generation is we got people running around believing they don't have purpose. Maybe it's not they don't have purpose. Maybe it's they're distracted by the irrelevant. So this requires us to take inventory of our lives, to weigh everything. Weigh it. Weigh it. Weigh it. Weigh it. Weigh it. If you don't get anything else, hashtag weigh it. Weigh it. Weigh what it is. Take inventory of what it is. Number three. Come on over, shot number three. three. Last one is this. Is life, like recipes, are seasonal. Life, like recipes, are seasonal. Guys, I gained five pounds at the beginning of November just by simply realizing that my wife's pumpkin loaf is about to be cooked. (laughs) Come on, can I get a witness in church this morning? And the one thing that I hate about the new year is that pumpkin loaf kind of slides away. And right now she's got all these recipes and and she's laying out cooking recipes right now, which is like amazing. And she's like, oh, we should do this, we should do this, we should do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we should definitely do that, do all of that. (laughs) And what I love about it, though, is this is that you start to recognize the seasonality of life. Am I talking to anybody today? That in different seasons and in different moments, you have different recipes that are applicable. I don't eat pumpkin loaf in the summertime. I mean, (laughs) why not? (laughs) We do strawberry shortcake, right? There's certain things in certain seasons that I don't want. It's too heavy. It's too light. It's this is that. I don't eat soup. Like, this is, this is how weird I am. I do not eat soup during the summertime. It is a sin. 
You want to eat soup during the summertime? Do you want soup? Do you want chili? No, it's 95 degrees outside. Ah, uh-uh, I want a bowl of ice cubes. <laughs> now let me prove this biblically. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Meaning this, is that don't politicize your recipe. And what I mean by that is don't create a bureaucracy in your recipe. But that's what we do because we're humans and we like everything structured. So we create like, okay, this is, the, this is my recipe for life. It's a bit of this, a bit of this. Remember things are way the same. It's a cup of this, it's a cup of that. Teaspoon of this, teaspoon of that. That's my recipe. Now I'm going to walk through life. But how many of you realize that seasons change in life? And all of a sudden, as I enter into one new season, my recipe has to change. That's life. So we had a, a, an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old. Elle's been born for a year and a half. Like, she's been alive for what, longer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we have a baby who is a year and six months old. When we had Justice and Shiloh and it was just them, that was one recipe. And that recipe was amazing. I loved that recipe. It was a great recipe. So my schedule was different. Her schedule was different. We were in the gym together, and it was, like, beautiful, and it was awesome and everything like that. And then we had Elle. She jacked up my recipe. I'm just being honest. And for many of us, we get bitter because our recipe has been jacked up by our season. When God's simply saying, don't get bitter about it. Just change the recipe. So right now, I'm not getting to work out with my wife. She goes in the gym in the morning. I hang with my daughter during that time. And I was getting frustrated. I was like, I'm not going to do the gym anymore. I'll just figure out, like, I'm going to just mentally work out. <laughs> you go to the gym, I'll hang with the baby and everything like that. But I started to realize, no, no, I can't, I can't do that. I need the gym in my life. It, it gives me a lot of enjoyment. And so what do we do? We went out, and I purchased some gym stuff from my garage. So I've been working out in my garage. It's cold. It's horrible. I'm by myself with like plumes of breath coming out every time I breathe like a bull. (laughs) But that's my recipe right now. That's my recipe right now. And when Elle gets to the age where we can go back doing what we are doing, then we're going to switch the recipe. But how many of you know by the time she's three or four, we could have a totally another season upon us. Not a fourth kid, just a different season. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) So hear me. Come on, this has got to be freeing to somebody. Different seasons require different recipes. Different seasons require different recipes. And at the beginning of this year, at the outset of this year, you've got to decide what season am I in? And even more than decide, here's a, here's, a, here's a big bible word, I have to discern what season I'm in. I have to discern the season, and then i got to come up with the recipe. And I come up with the recipe through study, and through interaction, and with knowledge, the rooms are filled. Now check this out, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Check it out. So that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will 
of God. If I can mess with the words a little bit so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect recipe of God. That every season requires a new recipe, and what worked in last season isn't going to work in this season. The Bible said it this way, is that you cannot put old wine in new wineskins. you got to change things up. So instead of getting locked down and being frustrated at the season that you're in, change the recipe up. This season's a cake. This season's a chili. This season's a burger. This season is what it is. Change the recipe with the season. And this is where I get to then search for the proper ingredients. This is where I remember the ingredients necessary for a season. Because some seasons are repeated seasons. Then you look back and you go, oh, now, Erica, she's pretty much got the pumpkin loaf memorized. Why? Every season. Pumpkin loaf, cheesecake frosting. Pumpkin loaf, cheesecake frosting. Pumpkin loaf, cheesecake frosting. Every November. Pumpkin loaf, cheesecake frosting. And sometimes she'll try to throw it in at week two of October, and I'll be like, no, absolutely not. We're not ready for that season yet. We don't need that recipe yet. November 1st kicks us into a new season with that recipe. Is anybody hearing me today? New seasons, new recipes. Because here's the truth. Life is a recipe. And God's calling us to blend things together in order to have the life, the full life, the life that he said he came to give each and every single one of us in Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me right now?